This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, everybody. It is trade deadline week. And all of the trades are happening right now, yesterday, over the weekend, last week. The deadline's on Friday, by the way. Who's going to be left? <laughs> We're not sure yet. Because players are flying off the board. Players that we didn't even really think were on the board are flying off. A little bit of news just before we came on. I believe Logan Gordon had it on Sportsnet today if you're listening to the station live. But it looks like Rasmus Sandin from the Toronto Maple Leafs has been traded to the Washington Capitals for Eric Gustafson and a first-round pick. Looks a little interesting uh, that that gives the Leafs a little bit more cap space. Sandine makes $1.4 million. Eric Gustafson makes $800,000. So it gives the Leafs a bit of wiggle room. And it also gives them a first-round pick. So that's probably a team to keep an eye out for in the East. But also, if you're listening to this live and you're from Calgary and you don't care about the Maple Leafs, that's okay, too. Just going through some of the news. Marcus Johansson's also been traded uh, to Minnesota for a third-round pick. Jesse Puliarvi was traded to the Carolina Hurricanes uh, by the Edmonton Oilers earlier this morning for forward prospect Patrick Pustola. That deal finally gets done. We've been talking about Puliarvi and the Oilers and needing a fresh start for a while now. Has a chance to be a pretty good win-win deal. Pooley-Arvey's had a tough time in Edmonton, and Carolina seems like the kind of place where reclamation projects do pretty well. I still wonder if the Canes have something else up their sleeves. They still have some cap space to work with. Uh, we're going to talk with Corey uh, Lavalette from Carolina about that tomorrow on Hockey Central because uh, the Canes are a big power in the East. Again, they could have some more up their sleeves. So we'll talk to Corey tomorrow. Today on the show, we're going to talk to Ty Anderson. He's a Boston Bruins analyst and radio host for 98.5, Boston's home for sports. He's coming up shortly here on the program to tee up you know, obviously the Bruins are the best team in the NHL, but they're also going to be playing against the Calgary Flames tonight at 7 p.m. So we'll tee that matchup with Ty and maybe evaluate the deal that the Bruins have made already ahead of the deadline, getting Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway from the Washington Capitals. And later in the show, Jason Bukla, the former NHL scout and current analyst with Sportsnet, is going to join the show we're going to talk a bit with Jason about what the Flames should be doing at the deadline. And let's do a little, we'll do some trade grades. We'll go over some of the deals that have happened. Um, but in the meantime, we've got Logan Gordon here for a little bit longer. Logo, has anything else happened while I was talking for the last couple of minutes? Who else has been traded? What's going on? Do you have Twitter open? Because I've just been rambling. Yeah, I'm just I'm just constantly hitting the refresh button on Twitter right now, just <laughs> waiting for something to come down and uh, continue yeah. to ruin my Friday, which will be no doubt uh, spent talking about depth moves and uh, seventh round draft picks that get traded. Or because, Jacob Chikrin. Yeah, because who knows? Everyone wants to keep talking about Jacob Chikrin because we've been, you know, Lord knows we <laughs> haven't been doing it for years. Yeah, the one the one guy that. We've been talking about almost as long as anybody is the one that, and the one that's been held out longest than anybody, 
still hasn't been traded. But yeah, everything. I don't think anything's happened in the last 30 seconds, thankfully. But yeah, that Toronto one just came out of left field for sure. I didn't see that coming. I, you know, my, so my dad is from Southern Ontario. My father is a Leafs fan. I will admit that it's fine. He was, uh, he, he calls me constantly, like, what are the Leafs doing? Are they going to get a goalie? What's happening next? And, and yesterday I was talking to my dad about, um, you know, they might be doing something else. Maybe they'll do something to clear some cap space. Maybe they can move out Justin Hall or Alex Kerfoot, open up a little bit of cap room, get some flexibility in there. Did not see Rasmus Sandin coming. Did not see that coming at all. And Gustafson, obviously, the former Calgary Flame, I know a lot of um, statistical models like the way that Gustafson plays, so maybe it's a bit of a he'll – maybe you want a guy like Gustafson on your third pair in the playoffs against Tampa Bay's third line a little bit better than you like Rasmus Sandin. So we'll see how that ends up working. We'll see how those D pairs end up looking. But I think the big one is that the Leafs just got some cat flexibility. I think that's the big one for Toronto and moving out Rasmus Sandin. We'll yeah, and what happens next there? And all of a sudden, have another first round pick to operate with, right? I mean, to talk about that as a major asset for who knows what might be next for Kyle Dubas and all of this, I'm not sure. But to have, like you said, that now you've gotten cap space and something to use that you've already shown you're willing to give up in the O'Reilly trade, perhaps there is something bigger down the pipe for Toronto. Yeah, uh, one note in the text line here, and the text line is open, 960-960, if you want to join in, in the conversation. Geo Brody, now Gustafson. Toronto really liked Calgary's decor, didn't they? Yeah, it looks like it. Mm. Look, looks like Kyle Dubas was a big fan of, what, the 2017-2016 Calgary Flames? A couple years span, he liked the decor. He was paying attention. But the big deal we haven't talked about yet, Logo, this is the Whopper. Patrick Kane is expected to be acquired by the New York Rangers this evening, according to sources to Daily Faceoffs, Frank Saravalli. The return is expected to be a 2023 conditional second round pick. That pick can become a first rounder and a fourth. The Rangers and the Blackhawks are expected to finalize a three team trade call tonight. It has come out according to Craig Morgan. And I believe Emily Kaplan has reported this, that the third team is the Arizona Coyotes. They're going to get a third round pick in that deal. Uh, Chicago's going to retain 50%. The Coyotes are going to retain some of that money. And my understanding is that this is going to go down after 5 p.m. Eastern for daily cap-related reasons logo. So if Mm -hmm. he's acquired after 5 p.m., Kane's cap hit does not count against the Rangers' cap until tomorrow so always follow the money and uh it's possible that kane makes his rangers debut on wednesday against philadelphia my question for you logo sure we're talking about a lot of eastern conference teams right now if you're a western conference gm are you just sitting this one out like i know we've seen nino niederreiter go to washington uh not washington excuse me winnipeg there's been some deals in the west but if you're looking at the East and they're all loading up and the best teams in the league are out East, like, do you just say, eh, <laughs> I'll keep my first round picks? It's so weird. And I, I had a bit of this chat with Sam Cosentino Sportsnet yesterday, but I kind of feel the same way that Sam did in the sense that 
if I was in the West, Haley, I'd actually feel differently about it. I would feel like this would be my year to go out and try to do more because I actually think the West right now presents an easier way to find yourself to a, a conference final or a Stanley Cup final right now than the East certainly does. Every team in the East is loading up. The Metro, the Devils, and the Rangers have made massive moves. Uh, the top three teams in the Atlantic, Boston, Toronto, and Tampa, have all made big moves. We're just waiting on Carolina to do something. That's yeah. a murderer's row to get through. With all due respect to some of the teams in the West, I, I think Dallas is a good team. But are they that different than the team that lost to Calgary in the first round last year? Not really. I think so. I think okay, so. Okay, fair enough. I, Sagan has a hamstring and Jamie Benn has been rejuvenated. Fair. Very different. <laughs> fair. They, they have been, they've gotten some better. But I, don't, I still don't know that I put them in juggernaut status. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Vegas is a good team, but a team that I certainly like with Mark Stone healthy a lot more than without. And past that, I mean, Colorado scares the, you know, the heck out of me because... Once that team gets healthy and they haven't even been healthy and they look stupid good, so yeah. I'm kind of worried about what they might be. But I don't, I just don't see the same level of juggernaut teams across the West as I do in the East. So if I was a GM in the West, I would actually think actually I need to get in on this and try to make as big a push as I can because if I only have to see Colorado in round three, that might be an easier path than anybody that has to go through in the East. It's a good point, and I feel like we're waiting to see what the Oilers are going to do. We're waiting to see if the Dallas Stars are going to do something. We've heard that they've kind of been poking around on multiple players that have already been on the move. Um, Colorado hasn't really done anything yet, but I know it sounds really corny, but I think their big deadline acquisition is going to be good health. (laughs) It'll be Landeskog. It'll be Landeskog coming back. Landeskog back. Um, getting Kale McCarr back into the lineup. Like, the Avs are going to be good down the stretch. We know that for sure. I think the Jets are really good, and obviously Niederreiter is going to help them in a in a big way. So I think the West is – I don't think the West is as weak as maybe we think it is, but I do agree, and we just got a note in the text line from Steve from Drumheller. You only have to beat one of the Eastern teams, and they're going to beat themselves up on their way trying to get to the Stanley Cup final. So it is a good way to look at it, actually. I've been I've been thinking, like, just sit this one out, Western Conference. But, yeah, if you can load up, and if your goal and you think success is getting to the Stanley Cup final and then maybe losing to Boston or Carolina or Tampa, whoever ends up making it to the Cup final, if that's success to you, yeah, why not? I just... I feel like I've just convinced myself that an Eastern Conference team is going to win the Stanley <laughs> Cup. And it's yeah. going to be the Bruins. It's going to be the Boston Bruins. They are giving 2016-17 Golden State Warriors. Maybe they don't set a record for, you know, the best season ever in the NBA, NHL, obviously, as we're talking to the Bruins. But they're going to go wire to wire. They're going to dominate. I just, I can't get over it. It's going to be the Boston Bruins. And that brings us to our first guest of the day. It's Ty Anderson. He's a Boston Bruins analyst and radio host for 98.5 Boston's Home for Sports. He joins us now on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. Ty, are the Bruins going to win the Stanley Cup? Oh, that's a hard question to answer right <laughs> Welcome now. Welcome to the show. Uh, given, <laughs> given what the Bruins have been through, basically every postseason, it feels like they go through, you know, seven defensemen. You know, they have to go 10 deep into their bag organizationally. 
but I would say that's why they went out and acquired Dmitry Orlov, and that's why they haven't traded a guy like Jake Saboral, who's barely playing, or Mike Riley, who's in the minors, Anton Strawman, who's in the minors. Like, they've built this team for cup or bust, uh, and I think, you know, I, I say that players 1 through 30, right? Like, they have depth that they haven't had maybe ever in terms of, you know, just how deep they are because of, you know, what you just mentioned. It's cup or bust. Anything less than that is a massive disappointment here in Boston now. Well, because they were already the best team in the NHL, and then they went out and got better with the Orlov and Hathaway deal. So let's maybe start there a little bit, Ty. I mean, how do those two guys fit into this Bruins lineup? And what you mentioned the depth that they have top to bottom in this organization, depth that they haven't had. But when you look at Hathaway and Orlov, you know, what are they specifically going to add to the Bruins? We've already seen them make their debuts. They've already got their first points as Bruins. Um, what do you what do you think of this? How do you evaluate that deal in the early days? Yeah, you know, I think Orlov is a great addition for them in terms of, you know, what he brings to you at both ends. I think he's a solid open ice hitter. Uh, they really only have one of those guys, Charlie McAvoy, and you notice that in the postseason that when he's not on the ice, you know, things kind of go a little bit haywire. So, you know, given bringing Orlov in, they got to figure out where he fits still. They're, they're still kind of mapping out is he a left shot, uh, is he best on the left side or the right side? You know, he's a left shot, but he plays both sides. You know, do you want him as a complementary piece or driving a pairing? You know, I think ultimately he's going to be in their top four. It's just that's what he's been in and that's what he's done in Washington. That's where he's at his best. Uh, so I think they're going to land him there. It's just a matter of is it with Carlo or is it McAvoy. Uh, but I like what he brings uh, because I just think that, you know, you need guys that can take the punishment and dish it out equally. And I think he can do that. And, you know, I think Hathaway brings an element they've really missed in the playoffs in terms of just having a guy who, you know, can can really get in on the forecheck, create some pressure, create some – they like to use the term anxiety in Boston in terms of what he can do, what he can create. He's one of the best fourth-liners in hockey, in my opinion. So if he can come in and, and just do that and really sort of be another hammer for them, you know, and that allows – their second, their first, their third line to go out and do their jobs. And, you know, that's sort of what has been making them a great team, Haley, as you kind of talked about, it, you know, when you're able to have these lines, right, where you have, when you're fully healthy, and this team has Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, and Taylor Hall on different lines. I mean, how do you game plan for that, right? And I think that is a guy who's going to come in and, and create space and wear down defenses for them to roll out those players. So let's take a step back a little bit. I mean, a step back. We're going to look at yesterday night. The Bruins came back from a three, a two goal deficit, excuse me, and beat the Edmonton Oilers three to two. It was a great game. It was really fun. I don't know if it was the best game I've seen all season, but it ranks pretty highly for me. Like, what did you think of the, the game between the Bruins and the Oilers last night? And by the way, Connor McDavid scores 50. He hits the number five zero for the first time in his career. So that's just a nice little added sprinkle into the game. And you have Brad Marchand playing in Edmonton after he, you know, angered the entire <laughs> the entire city uh, over the All-Star Game comments. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the, the Bruins and the Oilers have always played some, some great games over the years. You know, it's funny, when you feel like, when you limit McDavid's two goals, you feel like you that's almost a win in of itself, given the way he's played this year. Uh, I mean, he's just unbelievable. It's very rare that I feel as if you have a guy who's locked up the Hart Trophy 
you know, by the 50 game mark, by the 60 game mark, but it really does feel like it's his, it's his trophy and everyone else is fighting for second place. Just an incredible talent, incredible player. I thought the Bruins did a, a solid job, you know, against him, all things considered, despite the two goals. A lot of McAvoy, a lot of Orlov on him, and, and that's sort of what I was just alluding to is with Orlov's value there for the Bruins. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a very, it was a very competitive game. It's funny that the Bruins didn't start Lena Salmark. I thought that would have been their call given the Oilers' offensive firepower. But, you know, I, I think that for the Bruins, this has really been about – finding in-season challenges, right? Like, they are so far ahead in their division. Carolina is about nine points behind them, so they're still in it. But for the Bruins, it's about finding ways to get up for every single game. You know, this is the middle game of a three and four, and I thought their competitive spirit was really strong, right? And that, you know, having their fourth line play the way it did with Felino and Hathaway um, just really gave them a lift. And I think this is what it's about for the Bruins between now and game one of the playoffs. It's just finding in-game challenges. And one of those was limiting Connor McDavid. He got his two, but he didn't get the three. And that was the most important thing. So you mentioned it was uh, Jeremy Swayman last night. We can expect Linus Allmark in goal against the Calgary Flames tonight. Uh, Dan Vladar, by the way, gets the start for the Flames. Is Linus Allmark the real deal as the number one? I know things kind of went into the season. I know people thought it was going to be an 1A, 1B. Maybe they're going to split. But Allmark has been one of the best goalies in the league this season, and he hasn't really shown any signs of slowing down. Yeah, I, I'm a believer in it. And, and I, a big reason why is goaltending coach Bob Asenza has worked magic with basically everyone the Bruins have brought in over the years. But really, what I, when I watch Linus Omar, his puck tracking has just been phenomenal. I mean, he is just so dialed in. You know, everything can kind of be going sideways on the ice, but you watch him during these sequences, and he just he knows where the shot's going. He, he knows where the deflections are going. He's kicking pucks out of danger. He's getting uh, covers when he needs them, I, I think, and getting his, his, his defensive breather when necessary. I think comfort has been a huge thing for him this year. He talked to him, and he mentioned that, you know, last year was hard for him. He was in Buffalo his whole career. He was in a new city. You know, his family was in a a new environment entirely, and and he wasn't sure, you know, how the locker room was going to react to how he is or how he he conducts himself. And I think this year he's really found a fit. He just seems much more at peace, much more at ease. You know, he is who he is now, and and he's been a great goaltender for the Bruins. I think the most important thing, though, is keeping him healthy keeping him upright. I think that the days of goalies playing, you know, 55 games, 60 games, and then running the, the tables for four rounds, I think those are kind of in the past. Those days are behind us now. So the Bruins really have a, a completely bonkers schedule down the stretch. They have one point, they have 15 games in 25 days. So they're going to have to find ways to get him rest, keep him fresh. And then I think, you know, game one, we're going to have to wait and see. That's the one thing that we don't know yet. You know, Lena Sommark played two games last postseason. He lost them both, and they went to they went to Jeremy Swayman. So we still got to see if he's a playoff goaltender. But right now, I have no reason to doubt. You know, given the way he's played so far, is there anything that surprised you about this Bruins team this year? I know a lot of the conversation heading into the year, and I was I was saying something similar. You know, I was looking at this team and saying, you know, are they going to be able to? 
you know, tread water until they get guys like Marshan and McAvoy, uh, Grizzlick back into the lineup. There were so many injuries. There were question marks. Um, you know, Bergeron's getting older. You know, what are they going to look like? Can they do this? And, and what have they done? I mean, they're three wins away from matching last season's total and 10 points from last year's total through 59 games. They've been completely dominant. I mean, are you surprised by this level of dominance? Like, did you expect that they were going to be okay? Like, what has really stood out to you about this Bruins team, Ty? Yeah, so truth be told, I actually picked them to win the division in our preseason picks. But I didn't think they'd be 130 points good, right? I don't think anyone really thought that. You know, I think replacing Eric Holler with David Krejci was going to be a big move. I thought bringing Pavel Zaka in was going to be a big move. But I think if there's one thing that's really surprised me, it's the way that Hampus Lindholm has played. You know, I thought at this point in his career, Hampus Lindholm would be a strong second-pairing option. You can put him with Charlie McAvoy and create a strong top-pairing. But I thought he was going to be more complimentary you know, than play driving, but I think that he's been unbelievable for the Bruins this year at, at, at certain points, especially when they had to play, as you mentioned, without McAvoy, without Grizzlick. You know, Hampus Lindholm was playing like the Norris Trophy caliber defenseman. He's still been really good, uh, but I think that's been the big surprise for me is just how strong he's been, you know, in this system, a full year of, of learning what they want to do. And I think Jim Montgomery has pushed the right buttons with certain guys. You know, he's really upped Charlie Coyle's two-way game. Charlie Coyle is now their, I would say, their most deployed shorthanded forward. Uh, he's become a, a strong face-off option. And what that's done is it's had a, a trickle-up effect, if you will, with Patrice Bergeron. It doesn't have to do everything for this team now. He still does, but he doesn't have to anymore. So I just think how deep they've been has been both, you know, it's been better than I thought it would, and it's been a huge reason why they've been so strong. I think it's interesting, you know, we're about 10 minutes, 12 minutes into this conversation, Ty, and I don't think we've really talked about Jake DeBrusque, and we haven't really talked about David Pasternak, and that, I think, speaks volumes to this team. Maybe I'm just a terrible host, and I'm not bringing up the right things, but there's just (laughs) so much going for this team, and David Pasternak is a huge topic of conversation in the sense that how much is he going to get paid? Is he going to be the highest paid player in the league next season? Is he going to take the kind of quote-unquote Bruins team discount that we've seen in the past? And I mean, Jake DeBrusque wanted out, and now he's a critical piece of this team. Uh, what do you think about these two guys? Yeah, I think, you know, I think with DeBrusque, it's been remarkable what the move for the top line has done for him. You know, it's been about a calendar year now since they made that move. And over that stretch, he has 35 goals. And it paces out to about a 38, 39-goal pace over the course of a full season. So, you know, he missed 17 games with a broken fibula and a broken thumb. And he comes back and he has goals in three straight games. I mean, the fit on that top line has been fantastic. And you really watch what he does with Bergeron and Marchand. He's just, he, it works, and it works so well. And you saw that when he was out of the lineup, that line was not as effective. So, you know, I think that DeBrusque is just, he's found his fit, he's comfortable, he's happier, and he's productive. And, and with David Bostrock, you know, the idea it was that, okay, you get him on 9.5, you get him at the Kachuk contract, that'd be great. That was in the summer. And then it was, okay, 10.5, all right, 11.5. 11.5 is the most common number that I have heard when it comes to a quote-unquote Bruins discount. But I think we're talking about $12.5 million now. I think we're talking $13 million. And, 
for the Bruins, I, I think it's worth it. I, I do because I don't see the Boston Bruins going out and identifying $13 million worth, you know, of replaceable production that David Pasternak mm-hmm. brings to their team and the game-breaking element that he does have. So I, I think he stays. It's just a matter of what what is the price because it's only going up. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the Eastern Conference a little bit here, Ty, because it is packed. The wild card race is very fun. The top teams just keep adding. Who do you think is going to be the Bruins' biggest threat in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, they, they would have to wait through the third round to get there, but I have to go with Carolina. Uh, when you watch these teams go head-to-head, they are just they are built to beat one another. And it's really fascinating when you watch – Carolina come to Boston, it's a totally different team than the team that you see when the Bruins go to Carolina. I mean, I think there's a reason why last year's series between the teams, the home team won every game. I mean, they are just built to make one another uncomfortable. And so I think Carolina is their big obstacle. I think when Carolina is rolling, they play at such a pace that it just makes teams so uncomfortable. And it takes the Bruins out of what they can do really well and you know with their defense and with these changes under Jim Montgomery they're not allowed to activate as much or take the chances they want to take because Carolina has them in a blender so I do think it's the Hurricanes I'm curious what they do they've been suspiciously quiet in in my opinion in terms of you know the guys that we thought they were going to get versus what they've gotten to date so I, I do wonder if they're you know laying in the weeds with a big blockbuster of their own I've never seen anything like this in my years of you know, covering hockey in terms of teams that one conference is just so loaded and everyone is making home run swings. And it's been really remarkable. And I'm kind of waiting for Carolinas because they do have the LTIR space and they should use it. I think it's an all-in year for them and it should be. But, you know, depending on what they do, I'm leaning Carolina being the Bruins' biggest obstacle towards getting to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the Canes... They've got, I think, because of the LTIR, because of Max Pacioretty, and obviously we've kind of all been waiting. You know, Pacioretty was going to be their, you know, quote-unquote deadline acquisition. Then he gets hurt again. Now he's on LTIR. They've got around $7 million in deadline cap space, according to uh, the always handy cap friendly. It's hard to imagine them just laying low and not doing anything with that at all. Another team to keep an eye out for in the East, though, is the New York Rangers. Patrick Kane's expected to be traded to the Rangers tonight, according to sources to Frank Saravalli at Daily Faceoff. Bruins, Rangers, TD Garden, Saturday night. Is that a point where you ditch the press box, the radio studio, and just get a seat? I mean, I would if I could, honestly. That, that, that's a marquee <laughs> matchup. You know, the Bruins and Rangers always play these great games with one another against one another, and I expect this will be the same. What impresses me about the what impresses me about this Rangers team, especially after adding Patrick Kane, is they just have so much talent on the wings. And you know, between Tarasenko, Kreider, Panarin, obviously, and now Patrick Kane, I mean that that is a that is a hard out. And I think that you know Shesterkin, I think, can find another level as well. I, you know, he, we saw what he did last year for this team. If he can find that, that is a dangerous, dangerous team. And I think you can say that about a lot of these teams in this conference. That's what's so fascinating about it is that, you know, every I, I look at every team that's in the Eastern Conference playoff picture right now and say, yeah, they could win it. Like, and Kane just gives that Rangers team just another weapon, especially with that chemistry with Panarin 
if he can, you know, regain that and they can bring that back to the table, we saw it in Chicago. We saw how dynamic that can be. You know, if that's there again, watch out. All right. Great stuff, Ty. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Bruins and Flames, 7 o'clock puck drop, 9 o'clock Eastern for yourself. I assume you're still in Boston. So enjoy the enjoy the late one. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Anytime. All right. There goes Ty Anderson. He is a Bruins analyst and radio host for 98.5 Boston's Home for sports and that conversation is brought to you by the atlas pizza guest hotline the guest hotline is brought to you by atlas pizza and sports bar using the same secret recipe since 1975 dine in at 6060 memorial drive northeast take order delivery at 403-248-3344 big test big game for the calgary flames tonight against the boston bruins again the best team in the league and they just got better with the acquisitions of Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway. Um, I had a chance to watch the Bruins in person while I was in Boston recently. And you know that they're good when you watch them on TV, but I feel like the experience of watching them live in the seats or in the press box for myself, um, it's it, it gives you a different level of appreciation for the team. They're so fast, so skilled. They move the puck well. Uh, their D is aggressive. They don't let teams into the zone very well. And if they do, they do very well to push them to the outside, block shots. And if you do get to the inside and into the slot, well, they've got Jeremy Swayman and Linus Allmark guarding the crease. There's a lot going for this Bruins team and a big test for the Flames tonight at a very crucial point in the season with the trade deadline coming on Friday. So with that coming up next, we are going to talk to Jason Bukla from sportsnet.ca. We're going to get some trade grades from a former NHL scout and get his take on how the Flames should approach the upcoming deadline. That's coming up next on Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back into the show. I don't believe there was any trades during the break, but that could change at any moment. Players are flying off the board. Calgary Flames taking on the Boston Bruins tonight. That all makes this a great time to bring in Jason Bukla, former NHL scout and current analyst at Sportsnet.ca. He joins us now on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. Jason, how are you doing tracking all of this? There's been a lot going on. It's been busy. There's no question. I'm I'm, uh, starting to get more and more worried by the minute as to what we're going to be doing in studio come Friday as this keeps going (laughs) along here. But, uh, yeah, it's been hectic, hasn't it? Do you know how to juggle? No, but I'm a <laughs> professional scout by trade, so I know how to crush copious amounts of coffee in the waiting room. No problem. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they're just going to have an ISO cam on how many cups of coffee you go back. Or, you know, let's just see what Jason's doing while there's nothing to talk about. I think that would be a pretty good segment. Yeah, that'll turn viewers right off for sure. So that's just doubling <laughs> down on that bad day for sure. It's good It's good for the ratings, I promise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Jason, the Flames are taking on the Boston Bruins tonight. They're currently four points out of the second wild card spot. They have one other game before the trade deadline on Friday against Toronto. That's on Thursday night. 
you know, just another top team in the Eastern Conference to play against at a very important time in the season. You had a story on sportsnet.ca about a week ago now. Um, when you look at the landscape in the league and you look at the way that the Flames have been playing, how do you think they should be approaching the deadline? Well, it's been fluid uh, for me, even since I wrote that uh, story. And, and, and I know with the great work you do at The Athletic, like you know it takes uh, literally a couple of weeks to do an organizational deep dive. Like It takes a lot of time. you got to try to connect a lot of thoughts. So when they've been as inconsistent as they have been over really the duration of the whole season, even from last week to today, um, I'm sitting here, and when you ask me that question, I'm I'm more leaning towards I'm just standing pat at this point in time. I I don't trust the group enough to unload any more draft capital or any assets uh, within the system. Um, uh, you know, some some developing players unless unless they've got some intel that you know Matt Coronado they talked to him and they want to bring him out of school at Harvard and he's saying no I don't want to be a Calgary Flame. Well then. You know, that could turn into something like Jack McBain last year going to Arizona at the deadline. I get it. Um, sure. But I don't I don't know, Haley. I just uh, – I think we got to see it through for what it is right now. And um, I just – I can't see them spending any more capital on this group. Uh, it's just been too much uh, – you just never know what you're getting from one day to the next. Right, right. We know that Brad Tree Living likes to say that he takes his cues from his team, right? And we know that that's what a lot of general managers do. If their team is showing that they're a team that kind of deserves the spend in terms of the assets and the cap space um, and those tradable assets, I should say, um, then GMs will go out and make those moves because their team is good enough to be beefed up and improved ahead of the deadline. But I think if we, you know, just look at what what this Flames team is and has been and where they're at in the standings, they might just not be worth the cost of admission at the deadline. But I think what's interesting, though, is there's there's a middle ground between buying. You know, they're not going to sell off. But how do you feel about the potential for a strategic spend? Uh, I know Elliot Friedman was on the Jeff Merrick show today discussing how the Flames could be one of those teams contemplating, you know, dealing someone out they have multiple players with one year left on their contracts players that could be useful for other teams who are going to be competitive at the deadline um a tyler Toffoli, a michael backland i'm just kind of spitballing guys with one year left not saying that these are guys i want the flames to trade out but what do you think of the idea of the strategic spend or sell i should say I would definitely investigate it. I mean, you know, that's part and parcel with the, the process here. Um, when the team doesn't give you enough of a reason to add to the group, you also have to take a look at the future landscape and potential of the group and, and say to yourself, like, where are we going to be come October next year with the same type of player in the roster? And um, one thing that I've noticed, and, and, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, is like with the – uh, with Dewar and Pelche coming into the lineup, for example, I've noticed when they when they're going, like it's noticeable the the energy and the speed and the uh, the enthusiasm and the compete that they're bringing to the group. So, with that in mind, if you were to move out, call it, um, and I'm not just throwing out. I have no intel on this, but to your yeah. point, like if you're if you're throwing out at the Foley, for example, 
who's, you know, a proven scorer, can help a team in playoffs, he's a Stanley Cup champion, and you can bring back another player in that elk, like those younger guys that uh, play with that type of enthusiasm and hopefully can make your roster next year, mm-hmm. I absolutely say you investigate it. Um, have you noticed that energy from those two as well? Like, uh, that, that's how it feels to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've been a big fan of Jacob Peltier's game um, for the last couple of years. I, I did a couple stories on him when I was, you know, the regular Flames beat writer for The Athletic. And he's he's a fun player to watch. Like this is the guy you just kind of know, loves hockey and loves practicing and playing and getting better. Um, it, it was not lost on me at all when I think it was the game against Vegas where they're tied the flames need a goal and who is it that come up big it's jacob peltier and it's walker doer i may have mixed that up it may not have been vegas but there was a game last week where it's tied uh it's a big game flames need a goal and it's jacob peltier and then it's walker doer uh and the kind of comeback cues that was like those are two players that are not just bringing energy, but they're bringing production at the right times and they're making a difference on the ice. Like they're not just skating fast and bringing, you know, bringing the fun, like they're, they're making a difference now. And that's really important. I, I, I completely agree with you. Like in that Vegas game last week, the one power play goal, it's a tap in from the crease, but Pelche's there. You know what I mean? Like he's battling for space around the net and he's there for an easy tap in. Trust me when I tell you, there's a lot of guys in the league that don't go to that area to get easy tap-ins. Like, they, yeah. they just don't get to those areas. And, and it's yeah. a big pet peeve of coaches and management. And, and Dewar, off the rush, I think it was the same game. I mean, Brady McNabb kind of bumped him into the goaltender. But the fact of the matter is Dewar at 6-2 got the edge, hard to the net with speed, didn't hesitate. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to oversimplify it and put too much stress on those two kids. All I'm saying is that um, the influx has been noticeable, so that tells me something. Uh, so we do have a bit of breaking news here. It looks like the – so at the beginning of the show, we talked about the Rasmus Sandin swap with the first-round pick. Uh, they get a little bit of cat flexibility with that move, Sandin, for Gustafson. Uh, just a couple moments ago while we were chatting, uh, Pierre Engvall has been moved to the New York Islanders. That's according to Elliot Friedman. And now this just in, Luke Shen has been traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs per Elliot Friedman and Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff. So we could kind of put the pieces together. Didn't seem like that was all the Leafs were going to be doing. They were moving space. They were creating some flexibility, and it looks like that was to bring Luke Shen back. So let's maybe get into that a little bit, Jason, because I wanted to get us into some trade grades with you. And now we've got some breaking news here, and I apologize to put you on the spot, but this is really interesting because the fun part about Luke Shen kind of becoming a big trade chip is looking at his evolution as a player. He's the fifth overall pick from Toronto years ago. He's the young stud. He makes the team as a teenager, and now he's kind of the third-pair defenseman. He plays hard. He hits. He fights. He does what you want at the deadline uh, kind of guy, and now he's back in Toronto. Like, that's kind of a, a fun arc to to follow here for Luke Shen yeah it's that's a that's a crazy trajectory there's no there's no question about it um I'm not surprised that Shen is landing in Toronto I guess I'll get that out of the way first um you know a lot of what's going on in that division specifically is 
you know, those teams, Boston, Tampa Bay, they've loaded up on heavy, hard type of players, right? Like Orlov was an ad in Boston. He's, he's a compact. He's built like a fire hydrant, but he hits hard. And then you got um, uh, Hathaway, who plays like his hair's on fire, finishes every check. So, you know, to take away some of the stress on the entire group in Toronto, they've completely retooled now their back end with, with a lot of these acquisitions. Gustafson's for Sandine, that swap in and out. They're very similar players. You know, they're transitional defensemen who can um, distribute on the power play. I would say that Gustafson shoots it more than Sandine. I would also say that Gustafson, uh, and I'm surprised that I'm saying this to a degree, but he's morphed into a more reliable defender than I thought he could be. Um, he's had his hiccups over the years. Like he's, you know, there's been nights, but um, he's better now than he ever has been. And Sandine um, was a question mark. I had Sandine out of the lineup after yesterday's trade. So okay. um, this is, this is interesting. Um, Shen, I mean, listen, heavy, hard competitor. What's really interesting to me in this Haley is that and, and all of our analytics community friends will be throwing rocks at this trade, but um <laughs> He's the, he's the heaviest player in the National Hockey League right now, or one of the uh-huh. top three anyways. I'm not even looking at the stats, but he's got, I don't know, 230 hits or something like that. I mean, yeah. the Leafs have literally retooled their bottom um, set of uh, forwards and now the back end with heavy, hard players, and they haven't skipped the beat with Gustafson um, going in um, for Sandine. So interesting, very interesting. Well, I, I think the big question that you think of, you know, we had Ty Anderson on the show previously, and he's talking about how the Bruins and the Canes are kind of like building to be able to beat each other. And now you look at the Leafs and then you look at who they're going to be on a collision course with, which is the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you're thinking, like, who do we want on our third pair against, you know, Tampa's third line, which is typically very difficult to play against uh do you want it to be you know justin hall rasmus sandine timothy lilligren combination uh or do you want luke shen back there helping you out do you want sam lafferty helping you out in the bottom six like they've gotten a little bit heavier and they're probably gonna play tampa bay a little bit better than they would have last season I think it's going to be fascinating now coming down the stretch is who ends up with home ice in that first route series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not talking about the advantage in terms of, you know, playing in front of your fans. I'm more looking at it for the last change strategically for the coaches, because if Toronto had, to, if they do, if they lose that spot and have to start on the road, then you're going to be looking a lot more at like Shannon Giordano, for example, against the, uh, their three, uh, you know, on, on the other side. So like the, the chess match will, will ensue. Um, I trust it. I'm doing this. Obviously, you and I are doing it on the fly, but um, my gut tells me I trust all of it a lot more right now than I did a week ago. And um, it's a good news story. I'm going to throw this little tidbit at you, just if you don't mind. Like, um, there was nine forwards. I was doing some math yesterday. Nine forwards. So you can predict. You can, you know, predict who they are. You know, the Kerfoots, the Marners, the Engvalls, the even O'Reilly's not a heavy player. Um, Anyways, there's nine players total on the Leafs roster that totaled on the entire year, 341 hits or something. And when they brought in Achari, uh, Lafferty, and if they play Aston Reese on the same line, that one line alone had 413 hits or something. Ooh. So the entire makeup of the team looks different. Yeah, that's a great one to throw out there. And and by the way, it looks like the return for Luke Shen is a 2023 third round pick so a third rounder from this year's draft to vancouver for luke shen to toronto 
Well, it's good value uh, considering they, they got the Boston pick back, the first rounder in yeah. the other deal. So that's good value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was maybe thinking that they got that first round pick to to ditch it somewhere else, but that looks pretty good. Um, that was some of the news. I wanted to go to, through some trade grades with you, Jason, but obviously things start happening pretty quickly. Uh, you know, let's look in the West a little bit here because I do feel like a lot of the show has been Eastern Conference focused. Of course, the Bruins are in town. Um, what do you like about, or maybe not like, about the Winnipeg Jets adding Nito Niederreiter, Niederreiter at the deadline? Excuse me. Well, I like the fact that, uh, first of all, he's got term on his contract, and it's affordable term. He's a 20-plus goal scorer. He's a veteran player. He plays um, he plays fast enough. He's not a burner, but he's, he's not slow at all. Like he's, 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 he's in, he skates at NHL pace, so it's fine. No, no issues that way. Um, heavy hard uh, around the net, which is a, another bonus. He kind of he fits the mold of what I would classify a Winnipeg Jets-style player. You know, if you look on balance, their team is pretty big. Um, when they had their most success, guys like Lowry and uh, now Niederreiter, um, and amongst others, are going to open up space. Uh, you know, barren even uh, in the hard areas for some of their skill guys. So it's a good ad, um, you know, with everything else going on around the league uh, and being Eastern Conference heavy, I think it's uh, it, it stands out even more. And it's going to be interesting to see between now and Friday because they've got a lot of cap space left if they want to add to that roster. But uh, on balance, anytime you can add, uh, a, a, I think on average over the last five seasons or so, it's like 23 goals a game on a, or 23 goals a year on average. I think that's a plus for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you stand? This is a conversation that Logan Gordon and I were having at the beginning of the show is, you know, I initially look at the way that the Eastern Conference teams are stacking up and how many, you know, powerhouse teams are, are battling it out in the East, whether it's Toronto, Tampa, Boston, Carolina, New Jersey adds Timo Meyer. If you're a Western Conference GM, do you add knowing that you'll have an easier pathway to the cup final in the west and you know then maybe the eastern conference team is going to be exhausted by the time they get there or do you kind of sit this one out knowing that the east is just you know elite this season it feels like the east is beating up on each other already through the trade channels like so yeah. if i'm a western if i'm a western conference team um well, let me put it this way. Uh, in the overall league stands right now, from one to six, you've got like Boston, Carolina, Jersey, Toronto, Tampa, Rangers. So in between there, you've got Carolina, Jersey, Toronto, Tampa. Two of those teams are gone immediately. The top mm-hmm. seeds in the West are the top seeds, like from one to four. And I, I think the journey through it's not an easy journey in playoffs. I don't want, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to underestimate it, but let's be honest. Like the journey is potentially easier to come out of the West. Like it just looks that way. So, um, yeah, I think that you're trading against the West more than you're strategizing against the East come trade deadline on Friday. Does that, does that make sense? So I just put that like, you, yeah, like absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you can't, you, you're not going to, you don't want to trade versus what Toronto's doing right now. You want to monitor your West. Uh, Western Conference foes and then prepare as best you can just against them because the other ones are already fighting it out on the other uh, other side in the other conference. And when you look at the top four teams in the West, is that Edmonton, Dallas, Colorado, Winnipeg for you? Say that again. Let me run it through. Let me say that again. <laughs> Edmonton, Dallas, Colorado, Winnipeg. 
Is that your top four in the West? Vegas is uh, a question mark for me, um, but you know, yes, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I just don't see how Colorado. I just see Colorado going on another run. Like I'm watching them now, and I'm watching how fast they're playing, and I'm watching. Like they really had to um, weather some significant injuries. Obviously, everybody knows that uh, throughout the course of the year so far. And I just see them as a as a horse come playoff time. I think they're going to be more fresh than a lot of teams. And um, they're my favorite to come out of the West again, Colorado. Okay, awesome. Well, great stuff, Jason. Thank you so much for this. Sorry to throw the live deals right at you, but this is uh, this is apparently what's happening, you know, three, no, four days was before fun. the trade was great. I'm, glad, I'm glad that we're uh, able, to, we're efficient enough to think on our toes, so that's great. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for the time. Have fun on right, deadline Andy. day. Okay, thanks. Take care. All right, there goes Jason Bukla, former NHL scout and current analyst at Sportsnet. You can see him on the deadline broadcast on Sportsnet on Friday. And just a reminder, until deadline day, as we chase down every Flames trade rumor swirling around the city, we've got you covered with coverage live from the Saddle Dome here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, if the Flames make a move, you'll hear it here first. And all this deadline coverage is brought to you by Tuxedo Source for Sports. It may be trade deadline season, but it's time to gear up for another great ball season. Southern Alberta's best selection of bats, gloves, and everything you need to be at the top of your game is at Tuxedo Source for Sports, 2520 Center Street North. That's all the time we have for today on Hockey Central. We'll be back tomorrow with probably some more trades to grade, things to break down ahead of the deadline on Friday. Guys are flying off the board, lots to get into, and we'll be back tomorrow here on Sports at 960 The Fan.